Hi guys and welcome back to another week of Licensed to Adult. My name is Shari and I am of course your potty mouth host. First of all, I want to start off by saying that I'm sorry there was no episode last week. I was a bit emotionally drained and honestly just didn't have the energy or mental capacity to come on here and put on a facade. But moving forward, I will be releasing an episode every week on a Friday at 6am instead of a Wednesday because honestly, I just don't have the time on the weekends or the energy on a Monday to record and produce. So I'd rather just be safe and change it to Fridays from now on. If you want to stay up to date though with what's going to be included in future episodes exactly when they drop and just banter about life in general, then you can follow my page License to Adult on Instagram or Facebook. Moving on guys, this episode is called Anxiety, Better the Devil You Know. And in this episode, I'm going to be discussing how to decipher an anxiety disorder from anxious feelings why anxiety is more present amongst today's youth, the common types of anxiety disorders experienced, and indications of an anxiety disorder and how to cope with them. But first, of course, let's discuss the week that was, or I guess the past couple of weeks, because we're playing a little bit of catch up here. Bartender? Bartender? First off the bat, I received a bit of a passive aggressive message from let's say a friend of a friend and it was the night before my birthday which I felt was rather inconsiderate, not that they probably even knew, but it really was a contributing factor as to why I didn't put out an episode the other week and it really did affect my mental health if I'm being completely honest. So the reason why I'm talking about this openly is because I want to kind of raise awareness before you think about sending a rude or nasty ill-intended message. Just ask yourself if what you're saying is based in hard fact or if you've drawn your own conclusion because words do have consequences. And I know I come on here and I seem really strong and stuff and I am to a degree for sure. But, you know, deep down, we all have feelings and emotions. And just because you're seeing the surface of that person doesn't mean you actually really know what's going on behind closed doors in their life and the struggles that they're going through. Also, don't engage in conversation when you're emotionally charged. So whether you're the person sending that message or responding, it's never going to be a positive outcome when your words are coming from an emotionally charged place. So take some time out, take a few hours, sleep on it, whatnot, and then send it. So I just wanted to get that off the bat on a serious note because it's not all rainbows and butterflies over here. But yeah, moving on, uh, some random stuff that happened to me. So I got some wrinkle relaxer injected into my eyebrows and my lips. So that was to give me an eyebrow lift because I have extremely hooded eyes and my resting bitch face is off the charts but it actually made a crazy difference. Like I really struggled to do eyeshadow and all my ladies out there, I'm sure you can relate if you have hooded eyelids, how difficult it is to do eyeshadow and winged eyeliner and all of that bougie shit. So I felt like it really made a difference and I was able to, you know, get in there and do it a little bit better. And in terms of injecting it into the lip, what it did was it gave me a lip flip. So the muscle relaxes and your top lip flips up a little bit because I have quite a thin top lip. And I just wanted to kind of even them out. I actually went to get lip filler, but she said, if you're going to do the filler, you may as well do the flip as well, because they kind of go hand in hand and help each other out. I actually have got lip filler before about three years ago. 
uh, it dissolved after about 12 months. I got the premium stuff and I actually went to go get it done and they felt my lips and realized that it had actually migrated beneath the skin. And I recently got that filler dissolved. So now that I've had that done, had the flip done, I can go back in a couple of weeks and get a little bit more filler put in. But yeah, I'm just saying this because I'm a huge believer of whatever makes you feel confident. You do you, boo. Like, I'm not saying this to encourage anyone to do it. I'm just being open and honest because, and I'm not talking to myself here, I'm talking about other people, seeing all these beautiful filtered women on social media and thinking that it's natural beauty when there's all these procedures that you can get done to enhance your natural beauty. If you want me to put up like before and afters or let you know where I went, then just send me a DM and I'd be happy to do that. But yeah, excited for that. Uh, On another note, it was my birthday the other week on the 25th of Feb. I turned 25, ironic. And my parents took me out to dinner at a French restaurant, which I picked, of course. And it was amazing. I've been there before and I was sad that the French waiter wasn't there this time, but we made do. And then on the weekend, I had a big birthday bash, which was lots of fun. So had 20, 30 close friends over at mine, played some drinking games, got a bit loose. It's very stressful hosting as well. Like I'm a big person of making sure everyone feels comfortable and included. So I was a bit stressed at the beginning, but we ended up having a loose night. I won beer pong, which never fucking happens because I'm blind as a bat. So that was lots of fun. And then we went to an event at the coast, again, Perth, Frio, and it was an interesting night. I ended up spending most of the night with one of my brother's friends, who's also my friend, by the way. So my brother lives in Queensland and I over the years became really good friends with his friends and vice versa. So I still kind of invite them to things like birthdays and whatnot. One of the guys that I've been friends with for ages and we've hooked up before like long time ago, just randomly, just once. um, We ended up, yeah, hooking up and spending most of the night together just in deep and meaningfuls and whatnot. And I mean, it was a bit weird because, well, for me anyway, because like I've known this guy for a long time and it was like, kind of hooking up with a friend but at the same time it was really nice like I felt really comfortable and you know we had good chats and stuff so no regrets there but we were told by everyone that we were pretty much gone the whole night I was a bit sad because I missed out on some drink throwing drama but I'm sure that there will be plenty more of that to come in other news I am extremely late to the boat and I've only just started watching Vampire Diaries and I am fucking obsessed like I can't stop. It's an actual issue. So I was like a massive Twilight girl. I read all the books and I don't really read like big novels like that, but I read all these books in four weeks. It's like a book a week. And I watched all the movies. I used to have like Twilight pillows and posters, like not even ashamed, man. Like I was one of those like super fans, but I hate blood (laughs) and I hate needles, which makes no sense because I just got fucking needles in my face and I'm watching things with gore in it but you know I somehow get through these things but yeah so Vampire Diaries is absolutely dope I watched season one in three days and I'm fucking obsessed with Damon like I actually did a bit of a poll on my insta saying like which do you prefer Stefan or Damon and everyone voted Damon so I was like okay like the table's gonna turn I see what's happening here But there's just something about him. It's like the broody, creepy, mysterious guys just fucking love that shit. So yeah, that's been a vibe. My neighbor came over 
and he's like an older guy and he was talking about his wedding anniversary with his wife and like that's a whole nother thing it was a very fucking funny story but basically he wanted a shag and then everything that could have gone wrong went wrong but of course I'm standing right there and my mum just had to throw out that her and dad had sex on the weekend when they went away So that made me mega fucking uncomfortable. Good for them, but I don't really, I don't think anyone wants to hear about their parents having sex. Next up, we have the iconic, ironic, it's a vibe story time. I love you. So on the weekend, I went camping in Waruna for a friend's birthday. Now, I am a seasonal camper. Like, I love that shit. I try to do it a few times a year. And everyone always tells me that I don't look like a camper. Honestly, it really fucking annoys me because it's like, what does a camper look like? Do I need to wear booties and like a fucking flannelette shirt and have my camel back? Like, what do you mean? And they're just like, oh, because like you're always so done up. And I'm like, okay, okay. Like, and what is your point here, please, sir? So you're telling me that because I like to dress nice to work or, you know, out on the weekends and I like to get my nails done and my hair done that I then can't go and like not shower for four days and not wear shoes. You're just making assumptions based off of how I look. That argument is redundant. Moving on. Sorry, that was a little um, temper tanny. One of the guys that came, fucking hell, bless his heart. He is like one of those people that just kind of like relies on other people, does like the bare minimum and expects other people to chip in, which I find a really irritating quality. He's such a nice guy, bless his heart. This is not a dig at him. It's just like one of those qualities that I struggle with. Anyway... He set up the tent on the first night, his tent. And, you know, we've all got like pretty nice tents, like pretty decent. And he sets up this thing and it's a fucking kid's tent. Honestly, this thing is tiny, like the size of my desk right now. Like we're all like, how are you going to fit in that? He's like, it will be fine. It will be fine. Squeezes in this tiny mattress. It was just the biggest joke. He didn't even bring a chair. So then he sat on this tiny footstool. And yeah, basically the next day he was like, that was fucked. Couldn't even stretch out. And then he pulls out another tent and sets that up. That was like twice the size. And it was like, bro, why didn't you just set this up to begin with? Logic, nowhere. Anyway, so went camping. It was a vibe. We went four-wheel driving. The guy whose birthday it was, he has a great wall, which is like a Chinese piece of shit, essentially, but has like a good engine. And he was a very talented driver. And we went four-wheel driving and it was wild. It was so much fun. I forgot how good it is to just like, it's like you're on a roller coaster, honestly. It's so like thrilling, but it's also a little bit scary at the same time. Like there was a few skids there that I looked at my girlfriend and we were like, fuck man. But you know, it's all part of the fun. The driver who I'm going to refer to as Ted was going for a certain track and I'm not really sure what happened to be honest. I like something went wrong and he's pulled the steering wheel to the right to try and get out of the sticky sitchy and to the right of the track that we were going for was like a really deep ditch. It was a four wheel drive track, but like a four wheel drive track for like monster trucks on MD and it was filled up with water. It was muddy. It'd been kind of raining the night before. And we fell into it. I'm on the right side of the car behind the driver and no fucking word of a lie. The car just went on a total angle centimeters away from being totally on the side or like flipping. I started kind of freaking out because I could see the water near my window and I could feel the car sinking into this muddy ditch. And my girlfriend was in the back with me to my left. And we also had the driver, his dog in the car. So that probably wasn't a smart idea. So she's holding the dog and I've looked at her and in my brain, I've gone, okay, I'm giving this 30 seconds and then I'm fucking climbing over her and running out the door. 
But somehow, miraculously, and honestly, props to Ted, he got the car out of that ditch on his own. And like that car doesn't have a powerful engine. So he was just working the clutch and doing his thing and somehow pulled it out from that deep fucking mud pit. It was seriously impressive. I was thinking we're going to have to get someone to pull us out. There was like these three, four vehicles that had pulled up to watch us and they all just started clapping. I think they were just really impressed with the fact that he was able to maneuver his way out of that situation. So we're given credit where credit's due. And then to top it all off, while we were forward driving, the tire actually slipped off the rim and he also punctured another tire. So replaced one and then just pumped the other one back up and also had the number plate at the front of the car fall off and it was fucked. We couldn't get it back on. It was bent, covered in mud, hectic. And then when he was on his way home, I wasn't in the car, I drove my own car, but he messaged the group and we got all these photos and one of the wheels had actually flung off the car while they were driving, which is just fucked the whole rim and the tire. And he managed to put it back on and then it came off a second time. There's going to be some expensive damages to his car, but hey, I guess it was worth it. All right, guys, let's get into today's episode, shall we? It's called Anxiety, Better the Devil You Know. First off, I just wanted to start with some statistics surrounding anxiety in Australia to give you guys a bit of an idea. I'm sure you already know, but it is very common. So just to kind of set the tone for this episode, I'm just going to roll off a few facts here. So anxiety is the most common mental health condition in Australia with an average of one in four people experiencing it in their lifetime. This is even more common in women with one in three and men coming in at one at five. I think there's a few factors contributing to that statistic, which stems from unrealistic beauty standards, particularly on women. Another fun fact, 2 million Australians are diagnosed with an anxiety disorder every year, which is approximately 14% of our population. That is huge. And I know that that is well above average in comparison to other countries. Over 75% of mental health problems occur before the age of 25. So it's most prevalent in 17 to 24 year olds. And there's quite a few reasons for that. I think hormones come into it, brain development, puberty, social factors, and it all kind of contributes. The sad thing about this is that young people are less likely than any other age group to seek professional help. And that's even less common amongst men than women, men in particularly don't like talking about, I guess, their mental health or emotions. So they're even less likely than women to seek out help. Moving on from that, I want to talk about why anxiety is more present in the youth of today. With cases on the rise in recent years and it's being spoken about more than ever before, I think that it's really important to address the factors as to why it's so prevalent amongst today's younger generation. But also just off the back of that, I want to make a remark that I believe mental health and awareness has never been more prominent than it is today. I don't think that back in the day it was as open a conversation or maybe a lack of awareness around the emotions that people were dealing with and categorizing it as anxiety. But at least today we're kind of learning more about it, speaking more openly about it so then we can be better equipped to deal with it. First of all, I want to address the elephant in the room, which is, of course, social media. We live in a world that is so connected to social media that it's so hard to escape. And I believe it sometimes feels like a virtual reality that you're living in. You kind of have this online persona, which doesn't always necessarily match your real life persona. 
Because when you're looking at someone's social media account, let's say Instagram, because I think we can all argue that that is the most popular social media out there. But when you're looking at someone's Instagram, it's a highlight reel of their life. So what I mean by that is they're only going to put up the best parts of their life. They're only going to put up the positive content that they want you to see. So not many people go on there and put up, you know, their daily struggles or challenges in their life or when they first wake up in the morning before they've gotten their, you know, makeup on or whatever. So what you're seeing really is just the best of the best of that person's life and you're not actually getting the whole story. When you see that, you kind of start to compare what you do or your life with that of others and it's not really a realistic comparison because, again, you're assessing a highlight reel of someone's life. We are constantly fed unrealistic beauty standards and it's become more difficult to separate what's real and establish a version of ourselves where we feel comfortable with the way we look in our own skin without conforming to those beauty standards. So we all know that injectables are on the rise, Botox, filler, and that's fine. As I said earlier, I'm all for that. And if that's going to make you feel better about yourself, then fucking go for it 100%. But if you're just doing it because you feel the need to fit in or to conform, then that's when you need to take a step back and really assess what you value out of life and you value in yourself. Because if you're simply placing your self-worth on how you look, then you're really setting yourself up for failure because looks fade. We're all going to get old as much as I fucking don't want to. We're going to get wrinkles. So you need to find self-worth in activities outside of that. You know, whether that be a hobby, your work, a passion, a talent, like whatever that is, and cling on to that. I guess just off of the back of that as well, with social media, it allows us to hide behind what I said before, an online persona, which is completely and utterly filtered. I would argue that most people, particularly women, edit their photos that they put up online. I sure as fuck do. I'm going to, I'm not going to sit here and deny it. I, you know, I put the presets on and, you know, it's just, it's the world that we live in. So just remember that what you're seeing is not always an accurate representation and just have that awareness with you because what happens when we live in a world of social media and hide behind our screens, it's kind of leaving us less equipped to deal with confronting real world situations. We're always messaging on social media or text messaging or whatever. And then have you ever had anxiety about going to an appointment or having to call someone? It's because we're so disconnected at a human level that we then struggle with that connection because we're so used to connecting via a virtual reality. Next up from that, the other main point that I wanted to discuss contributing to today's youth experiencing more anxiety than ever before is high expectations and pressure to succeed. I think that this is something we can all relate to because our culture in Australia is one that is based on the concept of achievement. So people are encouraged, but not only encouraged, they're praised for their success. We hold sporting stars, for example, to such a high standard that we're almost putting them in this godly-like position. We end up basing our self-worth on how successful we are in comparison to others, which isn't healthy because we should all feel successful in our own right. When you start comparing yourself to others and maybe where they are in their life at the moment and where what they have achieved, then all you're going to do is put a bunch of unnecessary pressure on yourself to meet that standard. This is a concept known as perfectionism. 
It's where you yourself are putting exceptionally high standards upon yourself. And this is super common for people who have OCD, which is obsessive compulsive disorder. And it can be really debilitating because you constantly have this ideology of perfectionism in your head. And let's be real, nothing's perfect realistically. The pressure that we put on ourselves to meet others' expectations is the highest it's ever been. And that is overwhelming. The bar is set so high and feels like it's constantly being pushed up higher and higher that it almost feels unachievable. Think of it in a work sense. You come in, they set the standard of what they expect you to achieve. You reach it, they raise the bar. You reach it, they raise the bar. It just keeps getting raised and raised. We as a generation have a need to feel validated and reassured by seeking and winning the approval of others. This is a concept that we've been exposed to from a very young age due to the advances in technology, right? Because we are so sensitive as a generation And I don't mean that to upset anyone, but that is the truth. We live in a world that is becoming very politically correct. And with that comes a sensitive side. So we always have this need to be like, yes, well done. You're doing a good job, sweetie. You know, when really the only person that you should need validation from or reassurance from is yourself. Okay, I want to get into the difference between an anxiety disorder and how it differentiates from feeling anxious. So An anxiety disorder is more than feelings of stress or worry. Everyone feels anxious from time to time, right? Like it's your brain's natural response to situations where you feel under pressure. Anxious feelings usually pass once that stressful situation has passed or the quotation mark stressor has been removed. So for example, uh, speaking publicly, right? Or going to the dentist or meeting someone for the first time. You may have anxious feelings, but once that situation is passed, they completely leave you. So that is not anxiety. That is feelings of anxiousness. And that is 100% natural. It's your body's natural response. It's when those anxious feelings don't go away and they start to occur for no particular reason, making it hard to cope with your day-to-day life. Then that may be an indication that you are living with an anxiety disorder. These anxious feelings become regular and they become debilitating to a point. So I guess that's the key difference that you need to take away between an anxiety disorder and feeling anxious or stressed. Okay, so now I'm going to be breaking down the most common types of anxiety and indicators that you may be living with an anxiety disorder. First of all, one of the most common is a generalized anxiety disorder, also known as a GAD. To wrap this up, it's when you feel anxious on most days where you worry about lots of different things. So there's no one stressful situation in particular, but you just have this feeling of anxiousness. This is also known as chronic anxiety. And these feelings generally intensify and are very persistent over a long period of time. All the research I've done indicate that somebody generally has to be living with this feeling for about six months for it to be qualified as a generalized anxiety disorder. And it interferes with your daily life because it relates to a number of aspects of your life rather than one stressor in particular. It's a feeling that you struggle to pinpoint the source of where it's coming from and little or nothing in particular provokes it. It's just kind of bubbling away under the surface and you don't really know why you feel this way. So some of the key symptoms for GAD, basic everyday activities seem difficult and you have difficulty concentrating. You are easily tired and you have trouble sleeping, so you feel on edge or irritable. 
And again, you can't pinpoint the source of the anxiousness, but it's persistent and it's over a long period of time and it affects your daily life. The next one I'm going to be talking about is called social anxiety disorder. So this is pretty self-explanatory. It's when you have an intense fear of performing or being around others because you're afraid to be criticized, embarrassed, humiliated, so forth in situations that involve social interactions. So this can be general or specific. So people can fear a specific situation where they have to interact with people or it can just be any interaction with others that makes them feel anxious. Commonly with this, people struggle to meet new unfamiliar people and find themselves feeling very self-conscious around others. The main symptoms of this can include physical symptoms such as sweating, shaky hands, blushing, stuttered speech, feeling nauseous. So another symptom is that you try to avoid social situations or you go to them, but you become increasingly anxious and distressed while you're at them and you try to leave as soon as you can. So you develop an early exit plan in your head. The third one I'm going to be talking to is called a panic disorder. This and OCD are the two ones that I personally have had the most experience with. I was kind of having panic attacks every other month, I want to say. Unfortunately, my poor ex-partner was the one who got the brunt of them and bless his heart, he dealt with them so well, but they can be extremely debilitating and come out of nowhere. So panic disorder is when you have panic attacks, which are intense, overwhelming, and often feel uncontrollable. So you feel anxious and you get a range of symptoms, but most of them are physical. These are known as panic attacks or panic episodes, and they are reoccurring. They can be unexpected, so they can just happen out of the blue, or they can be a trigger that causes the attack, and they can often leave you tired or exhausted or numb. So some of the main physical symptoms are shortness of breath, chest pain or heaviness, so feeling like you have a weight on your chest, feeling like you can't breathe, a choking sensation, increased heart rate, Sweating, trembling, dizziness, lightheaded, feeling faint, weak, numb, tingly, hot and cold flushes. Yeah, there's a lot of physical symptoms there, but I can say that every one of those is accurate. And as someone with low blood pressure, I would often feel faint. And a couple of times I did faint. So just be aware of it. If you do have a panic disorder, it's probably not a bad idea to carry around some, you know, sugar, like those little jelly beans from the pharmacy. Yeah, just putting that out there. Uh, So another symptom is you feel a sense of overwhelming panic and you have a loss of control or you fear loss of control. The fourth one I want to talk to is a little bit more niche, but again, still very prevalent in Australia, and it's post-traumatic stress disorder, which is PTSD. So this can occur after you experience a traumatic event, and a particular set of reactions develop in people who have had a traumatic event. These feelings from this event can be triggered when a similar event occurs. So you experience feelings of extreme fear, similar to that that you felt during the traumatic experience. This can kind of range anything from sexual to emotional abuse, which includes gaslighting, which I'm going to do an episode on in a bit, domestic violence, serious injury, natural disaster, death, you know, cheating. So a whole bunch of things. Again, the symptoms can be physical. So this can include sweating, heart palpitations or panic when you're reminded of that event. And generally, these people have difficulty relaxing and experience upsetting traumatic dreams or flashbacks of that exact event. And they try to avoid anything related to it because they don't want to be triggered by it. 
You feel emotionally numb and you are overly alert or distressed. And generally people who have gone through a traumatic experience have gaps in their memory surrounding that experience. Okay, guys, so now on to the fifth and final one and by far the most relatable one to me, obsessive compulsive disorder, aka OCD. So when I was eight, my mum actually took me to a child psychologist and I got diagnosed with moderate functioning obsessive compulsive disorder. So you can have low functioning, moderate or high functioning. So mine's moderate, which I feel like I've actually gotten better with age. I think my mom was a bit worried about me as a child because I was just crazy. Wouldn't let anyone touch my stuff or if they put it back in the wrong place, I'd have like a fit. So I've definitely learned to handle it a lot better. And I think it's really important to have an understanding, particularly of OCD and what's going on in the brain, because it does affect your day-to-day thought process and patterns, and it can be very time-consuming and I find it extremely draining. I really struggle to focus on things. Like when I'm at work, I have about 20 tabs open and I jump between tasks because I can't keep my brain occupied on just one of them. So I'm going to go into this one in a little bit more detail and hopefully some of you guys will be able to relate to these. So first of all, OCD is basically where you experience constant, unwanted and intrusive thoughts and fears that are not real life problems. And then these lead to anxiety. When I say not real life problems, I mean kind of unrealistic outcomes or the extreme version of something. You're kind of always thinking the worst, always taking one thought and spitting it out in 10 different ways. So you may be aware of these irrational thoughts and often people with OCD will try to alleviate the distress caused by the thought or try to neutralize the thought by carrying out certain behaviors or rituals that then provide them with short-term relief. So these patterns are repetitive and that's when they become obsessions or compulsions and they make the functioning of daily life very difficult and they interfere with your normal day-to-day routine. Sometimes as well, OCD, the feelings can be associated with that of embarrassment and shame, and people may try to hide the fact that they have OCD. And from my experience, it can also bring on fatigue because the thoughts or the patterns of behavior that you carry throughout a day consume a lot of time. I'm going to break this down into exactly what obsessions and compulsions are and how they differ. First of all, obsessions are unwanted thoughts or ideas that make it hard for you to focus on other things. And then compulsions are things that you feel you have to do in a specific way in response to the thought or obsession. So I guess the obsession you could say is the mental part and then the compulsion is the physical part. There's a number of key symptoms linked to OCD and I'm going to be breaking them down into categories. I can easily say that I have dealt with pretty much all of these symptoms. And I think if you do have OCD, it's a bit different from overthinking because overthinking is just, I guess, taking a thought and stewing on it and spending a lot of time on that one thought. Whereas OCD is a number of constant thoughts streaming through your mind and irrational thoughts. And then they lead to behavioral patterns, which cause you to change the daily running of your life. So some of the symptoms associated with OCD are cleaning slash contamination. So this is where you feel the need to clean regularly and excessively, and you do so in a very precise and similar way every single time. 
as someone who is a clean freak for sure. And I think that sometimes people with OCD get categorized as clean freaks when it is so much more than that. It's There's a lot mentally going on all the time, but this is definitely an outcome. Whether you want to say it's good or bad is up to you, but it takes me way too long to just clean my room because I don't just vacuum it. Like I make the bed, I move everything off. I dust every single fucking corner. I dust every single object. I put it back exactly where it was. It's like taking it to the next level. And then every time I do it, it has to be in the exact same pattern I did it before. So for example, normally I dust first and then vacuum because I don't want to vacuum and then dust and some of the dust get on the floor and I have to re-vacuum. So if I then somehow vacuumed before I dusted, that would mentally drive me fucking insane and I would have to re-vacuum after. So that's just a bit of an, um, give you an idea. But for me to clean a whole house, it's like a whole day job. The next one is obsession with order of symmetry, which I also have. So this is an overwhelming need to perform tasks or place objects in a particular place or a particular pattern. So if anyone here watches Keeping Up With The Kardashians, Chloe obviously has OCD. And if you look in her pantry, her fridge around her house, everything is put in a particular place. Everything has a pattern that it's put in. So in her fridge, she has everything organized by category and then by color. So it's obsessing over those little things. Next is checking slash counting. So this is where you repeatedly check or count items or objects in your head. Again, I used to count every step. I used to walk up. I used to count. I still count when I do workouts. I count how many skips I do or how many sets I do. So if it's like do as many as you can in 60 seconds and rest and do another set, I have to do the exact same repetitions I did in that first set in the next set. Even if it takes me longer or less time, it can't be less or more. It has to be exactly the same. So it's this overwhelming need to, I guess, count things and be consistent. Next is irrational and intrusive thoughts. Again, something I experience. So this one's a little bit dark and I don't think it's as dark as what my research has told me, but nonetheless, we persist. It's when you get frequent and often usually sexual or violent in nature thoughts that are persistent and they cause you to question yourself as a person, your desires, and they make you review your daily activities, both mentally and physically. So what did you think about that day? What did you achieve? Where did it lead you? What was the outcome? Physically, what did you do? So I'm massive on lists. And I think it's because I have so many thoughts streaming around constantly and just jumping from one thing to another that if I don't write it down, then I'm either going to forget or be sidetracked by other thoughts and not end up completing it. And the last symptom, which I don't feel too as strongly, but maybe others do, is hoarding, which kind of surprised me. So it's where you collect certain items. So I don't really hoard things. Personally, I'm kind of the opposite where I love to get rid of shit because I just love to have like a clean, open space. I need everything to be in order. Like if my desk at work is cluttered, then I can't focus on my task at hand. So I'm a big fan of just getting rid of shit and throwing it away. Um, Same thing if I get an email, if I read it or action it, boom, delete, gone or put in its folder. So the hoarding thing I haven't experienced a lot of, but I'm sure that others with OCD might be experiencing. 
So those are the main symptoms. I think I'm going to leave it there, but I guess I just wanted to stress that if you are somebody who is experiencing these symptoms, then it's likely a form of OCD. So go get yourself tested. And also if you know someone with OCD, just be aware that there's a lot going on in that person's head. Just remember that it's not a reflection on you. It's just the way that that person is conditioned to think. Okay, moving on, I want to talk a bit to how anxiety and anger are related because I feel as though there is a strong correlation between anxiety and anger and it's often overlooked. And it's something that I definitely experience a lot of. I used to think that I had anger issues and I think that if you ask my family, they would 100% agree with that. However, as the year's gone on and I've educated myself and come to terms with the reasons behind my anger and frustration, I've come to learn that it actually has been correlated with my OCD the whole time. So I'm going to unpack that a little bit. Anxiety stems from stress, which when combined with the perceived inability to deal with that stress is released as frustration. And frustration is anger's cousin, right? Often when people lash out, it can be misperceived as feelings of anger, when in fact it may be actually rooted in feelings of anxiety and they just haven't acknowledged those feelings of anxiety or don't know how to express them. So they then turn into frustration. Again, I think that this is closely correlated with OCD because with having OCD comes with, I guess, being a perfectionist. Tiniest little thing can set me off and cause me to get rather frustrated and angry and worked up. All right, so moving on completely, I'm going to be getting into some listener questions. So I put up a little bit of a poll on my Instagram and asked you guys to basically write down some questions that you had or that you wanted to get my thoughts on around anxiety or OCD. And you came back with a couple of really good ones. So I just wanted to cover those really quickly. The first one I got was, do you notice anxiety or depression worsens if hungover? Let's unpack this. First of all, 100% yes. I think we can all agree that we've all experienced anxiety at one time or another. And it occurs because alcohol is a depressant. So just to give you guys a little bit of neuroscience, a bit of background as to what's actually going on in the brain when you're hungover, your brain consists of four main happiness chemicals, serotonin, dopamine, endorphins, and oxytocin. All of these chemicals act as mood-enhancing neurotransmitters, which transmit a signal from your brain to your body to activate happiness. So when you drink, your brain experiences a boost in the consumption of serotonin and dopamine, which are the key hormones linked to our emotions. So just to break that down for you guys, serotonin regulates your mood and controls feelings of stress, anxiety, and depression. So when people have low levels of serotonin, it's generally been linked to feelings of increased OCD, anxiety, and depression. Now, dopamine is a bit different. It rewards you with a hit of happiness when you do activities that are considered pleasurable. So sex, eating chocolate, so things that you get pleasure out of. Essentially, what happens when you drink is these chemicals go into overdrive in your brain because the alcohol is stimulating them. And that's why you generally feel an initial rush of happiness when you're drinking. But this is only temporary. It may last a whole night or you may feel yourself crash at the end of the night. But due to this chemical reaction in the brain, the next day, your brain is depleted of these two happiness chemicals, which is serotonin and dopamine. This causes a chemical imbalance and leads to feelings of increased anxiety and or depression because there's nothing keeping them at bay. So just be aware that if you are someone who already is experiencing an anxiety disorder or depression, 
it may not be the best idea to get blackout drunk. As much as that's probably what you want to do because it's one of our coping mechanisms to get drunk or take drugs or whatnot, just be aware that you're probably going to feel like shit the next day. So yeah, I hope that answers that question anyway. Now, the other questions that I got were tips on how to deal with anxiety. So I've kind of just bunched up a few questions into one here and broken it down into some coping mechanisms. First thing that you should do if you're trying to figure out how to deal with your anxiety is educate yourself because you can't move towards a solution if you don't know the root cause of the problem. You need to be able to figure out first of all what your issue is, learn about it, and then only that way can you generate that awareness in your brain and know when it's your anxiety speaking. So that is the very first step. And if you're listening to this podcast, then well done. You've already kind of taken that first step. The next one you can do is mindfulness. Personally, I've tried this and it doesn't fucking work for me at all. But in saying that, I know people that this does wonders for. So when I say mindfulness, I mean things like journaling, uh, setting intentions at the start of the day, positive affirmations throughout the day, just keeping that positive mindset and having that awareness and writing down your thoughts that really helps some people with anxiety. The next one, which I think is key, is mood boosting activities. So exercise is a great one because it releases endorphins, which then act as natural pain relievers and result in you feeling energized and euphoric. Also socializing, it releases oxytocin, which helps you feel loved and connected. So both of these things are really great for boosting your mood. Also, another thing just off the bat that I've just thought of that actually does have an effect on your mood and anxiety is your eating. So if you have unhealthy eating patterns, your body is just going to feel like shit because you're not feeding it with the nutrients that it needs. And if you're not getting enough sleep, then your body is not functioning at its prime. Another one you can do is relaxation techniques. So this includes things such as yoga, meditation, breathing exercises, just anything that you find relaxing that is going to calm you down and bring you back down to planet Earth when you're in that heightened, anxious state. Another thing you can do, and this is absolutely not for everyone, but maybe if you have OCD or high functioning OCD, this might be a really good technique for you. And that is problem solving. So when you're faced with an irrational thought, for example, you need to, first of all, define exactly what the problem is. Then generate multiple possible solutions to that problem. And I also want you to generate one ridiculous solution to that problem, just so you can see how ridiculous your thoughts are. Okay. And then you can compare them with the real world solutions and go, this is real and this is not. Then I want you to evaluate each of the possible solutions with the pros and the cons of each. From there, I want you to implement which one you think is most manageable to you. Put it into practice and then later on, I want you to review it and see if that solved the issue. Now, if this isn't possible for the crisis or thought that you are facing, then you need to try and do a self-soothing strategy, which is one that I've listed above. So relaxation, mood boosting, mindfulness. The last tip that I have for dealing with anxiety is a little bit different and it's probably better for people who have PTSD. And that's something called exposure therapy. So exposure therapy is a technique used in behavioral therapy where you expose yourself to the source of the anxiety or I guess what triggers the anxiety. And you do so in a controlled and a limited way that builds up your capacity to deal with that situation and in turn decrease the de-stress that it causes you each time. So essentially what happens when anxiety comes on, unless you have GAD, which is generalized anxiety, 
Usually something will trigger you and then you will revert back to your safety behavior. So what this is doing is saying, rather than reverting to that safety behavior and perhaps removing yourself from that situation or ignoring it, you need to instead change your response to it. Change how you're going to handle it. Face that situation in small doses and build up your resilience to it each time, each time. And then eventually, hopefully, the end goal is that that situation will no longer be triggering for you. It's not everyone's cup of tea because, again, it means you do have to expose yourself to those feelings of anxiousness and distress. But if it's something that is very common, say you have PTSD from going to the shops because you're at the shops when an earthquake happened. I don't fucking know. I'm just using a random example. Then obviously you need to go to the shops in your life, right? So you need to start exposing yourself in small bite-sized pieces to build up that resilience and ward off those thoughts. With that said, that is everything that I have for you. I really hope that you guys found it helpful. And just to kind of wrap things up, I wanted to go through a couple of final points about if you are currently experiencing any of the symptoms that I've listed in this episode. So the first step is you want to get it under control and you need to acknowledge it and take action. Do not self-diagnose. You need to seek help from a medical professional or if you're not comfortable doing that, utilize online and over the phone resources. There's tests that you can take online which can tell you if you have anxiety or what kind of disorder it is or if you're showing signs of it. And also there's people that you can speak to over the phone if you're experiencing a mental illness. The other thing which I cannot recommend enough if you have OCD is to opt for a psychologist that specializes in cognitive behavioral therapy, so CBT. This is a type of psychotherapy where negative thought patterns are challenged and in order to alter those unwanted behavioral patterns that come from those obsessions, you develop personal coping strategies that target those unhelpful thoughts. And it's something that I personally don't think you can get from online resources because you're essentially retraining your brain, which can be done because the brain is very plastic, right? So it can also help to treat mental health disorders. And of course, when you go see a therapist, they also have the right to prescribe you medication. I know that they can be really helpful. I also know they can have some side effects, but if it's really that debilitating, then it's probably a good idea. Okay, guys, that is all. Thank you so much for joining me on this third episode of License to Adult. I hope that you guys enjoyed it. I really hope that you took something away from it. Follow my page on Insta and I would love for you guys to DM me any topics that you want me to speak about or listener stories. I would fucking love some listener stories. That would be dope. Have a bit of tea. Uh, I actually received a DM from a listener during the week saying that they really are enjoying the podcast and find it really relatable. And honestly, such a vibe. Like, thanks, doll. Thank you for sending me that. Really, honestly, you made my fucking day. So love you. But if you haven't already, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And if you could please just take a minute to leave me a five star, five stars only, of course, review on Apple Podcasts, that would be amazing because I've got a few one stars from some haters, which I probably know, but ain't going to call out. So we need to drown those bitches out, people. So jump on, give me five stars and I will buy you a shot at the club. Okay. On that note, guys, have a fabulous fucking weekend as always. And I'll be back in your ears on the new day next Friday at 6 a.m. Bye!